As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Matters of Life and Death. Um, Thanks for joining us. Um, As ever, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm joined by my dad, John Wyatt. Hi, Dad. Hi, Tim. And we're very pleased to say that we're joined once again by Chris Goswami. Hi, Chris. Hi, great to be here. Um, uh, we kind of spent last last week's episode tackling the kind of broad outline of what is cryptocurrency, what is the blockchain, where did Bitcoin come from, and then thinking through some of the arguments you hear for and against, particularly against. Um, are there kind of good arguments in favour of of, of using Bitcoin, of, of promoting and expanding its its kind of the kind of sector. What are the ethics, the ethical arguments that might lead us to say actually this is a good thing and we need to get involved? Yeah, no, thanks, Tim. So you know, one argument we covered last time was you know, this is an industry, and if you invest in Bitcoin, to some extent, arguably, you are investing in an industry um, that is up and coming. But there are two other uh, big ethical arguments I think which I'd like to cover off briefly. Um, about empowering young people and empowering people in developing countries. So, so, so what, what, what do I mean by that? Well, proponents of Bitcoin would say this is about empowering young people um, who basically have been left behind, um, that economies are biased against uh, the young people, particularly um, Gen Z people. Um, and in fact, you find most people who argue against Bitcoin tend to be kind of baby boomers or people above 40. <laughs> oh, dear. That's oh, dear. Not me. Yeah. Yes, that's all. That might be all of us. Um, but if you if you think about not it, quite. governments in the West uh, have record amounts of debt that needs to be paid back. We've got um, uh, tuition fees have been added on to young people. Um, their their chances, their chances of owning a home, which probably most of us took for granted, are are diminishing. Um, Even their chances of having a great pension are diminishing. So proponents of Bitcoin would say actually, um, and as a point of evidence, they would would point out that 90% of Bitcoin uh, are owned by millennials or Gen Z, which means people below 40. 90% of Bitcoin in the world has been bought by people under 40. Why? Because they feel it's that generation that has been let down by our current system of currencies. So that's one argument for Bitcoin. The second argument, uh, which is often, uh, often given, which I'll summarise, is, is, is in developing countries. And in developing countries, there's a couple of things. Um, we all know about migrant workers, don't we? Especially you know, post-Qatar and the World Cup, 
read a lot about migrant workers, and one of one of the things that migrant workers need to do in developing countries is send money home. Um, previously, to send money, uh, people in, in in developing countries generally generally don't have bank accounts, don't have credit cards, don't have you know whatever checkbooks, uh, and Bitcoin has provided a mechanism where all you need is two phones and an internet connection to send money back home. And the alternative in the past was to get on a bus for two days and two nights and take cash. And then the last argument for Bitcoin in developing countries is, is that it can develop, it can um, benefit developing countries where there's hyperinflation. If you live in a country where um, inflation is a thousand percent, and it is in some countries, um, cryptocurrencies can actually appear quite stable. And so you find that countries like El Salvador or Venezuela or Central African Republic, they have adopted Bitcoin as legal tender, as a means to um, try and create wealth, to bypass their dependence on the US dollar. So, you know, just to end that, um, again, proponents for Bitcoin would say it would, tend, it would always tend to be older people in Western countries who argue against Bitcoin because we're the ones who least benefit. Hmm. That's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I can see the force of that. Um, I, I suppose, on the other hand, you think, okay, so these are the people who are most financially vulnerable, and yet what you're proposing is an income that, uh, you know, a, a, a currency that has the possibility of, of having a catastrophic crash, you know, over the space of minutes and losing... You know, huge amounts of money. So, so it, it, I I can see there. I yeah, the arguments are, are finely balanced, aren't they? And yeah. and and I, yeah. and I do get the the point that particularly I can see in developing countries having this form of currency which isn't tied to any power base in the sense of a a Western government or the Chinese Communist Party or whatever it is. You've got a You've got a currency here which is completely separate from any uh, political system. It, it's interesting, isn't it, because it does tap into uh, this kind of techno optimism, which we've we've talked about several times in previous podcasts. That that really comes out of the Silicon Valley mindset. You know, you can trace it all all the way back to the sort of sixties. Uh, kind of hippie culture um, and, and then you know the very early days of, of the internet the mm -hmm. idea of open source software of information wants to be free um, this the very idealistic uh, view of that technology is going to solve the world's problems and and the best thing to do is to, is to make it open source and freely available and all the rest sadly you know what we've seen over the last uh, 40 years is that so much of that idealism in in the new tech has got corrupted by capitalism but you know that that uh, now or else by a kind of you know by totalitarian governments who are using this technology for surveillance and and this perhaps sort of naive optimism that technology is going to be liberating this kind of digital technologies has has largely dissolved what do you think about that um well a couple of things so you know the mentality of silicon valley it is a kind of a bubble of its own it isn't it is based on optimism i remember um, my ceo 
in the last company I worked for, which was based in Redwood City, California, you know, his phrase was, we will fail fast. Um, that basically, we, we don't worry about failure. We try something, it doesn't work. We try something else, it doesn't work. We try something else. Mm. Uh, and that is a, a culture and a mindset. Uh, I mean, Zuckerberg's, um, what was his, his uh, he, he had... Um, move fast and break things. things. Yeah, mm. which is mm. a, <laughs> yeah, again, uh, you know what, we, I understand what he means. It wasn't the best way of putting it. So that is a mentality that comes out of Silicon Valley. And I think... Um, to be fair to them, it's led to, you know, to the world's most valuable companies. You know, Apple, Apple is valued now something like two trillion, um, more than most countries. Um, so from a, from a capitalist perspective, something about it is definitely working. Hmm. Um, now, I mean, are you asking me whether it's kind of ethically right or wrong? No, I think it's just thinking about this um this view of the future you know that this this idea of progress um it's a very deep-rooted idea yeah and but in in some ways you can see it as a kind of distortion of a christian understanding i think that's true isn't it you know i think that's true and i mean you know i'm sure you know we call that technicism where technology will solve all the world's problems and indeed i think it's google who started a company called Calico Labs five, six, seven years ago. And the uh, mandate of Calico Labs is to, quote, unquote, solve the problem of death. That, um, right. yeah, you know, whether that's using AI or whether it's, you know, um, cryogenic engineering or whatever it is. So, so, yes, it does have an overinflated view of itself. And there is a point at which this contradicts um, Christian ethos, definitely, I think. So what about just thinking then about the, the from a Christian perspective? Um, it's interesting, perhaps, just to step back a bit and say, how do we, you know, the, the biblical view, you know, is, is so much in this pre-industrial, pre-technological, you know, it's um, thinking of the parable of the talents and the guy yeah. digging <clears throat> and burying his talent and... How do we translate this very pre-technological uh, rural understanding of, of of riches, of wealth, of poverty, you know, into this incredibly sophisticated world of fintech, and uh, digital currencies, and so on? That that is a hard question, John. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would let let's just think about a couple of the elements of it. So, um, yeah, you know, um, the Bible doesn't say anything specific about cryptocurrencies. It does have principles for ethical behavior, for good stewardship, for generosity, for not exploiting the vulnerable. And we have to bring all of those into play when we consider investments in this case. Um, so the parable of the talents, you know, and I'm sure people know that, um, the master of the house goes away and um, calls in the three servants and he gives one of them five talents or bags of gold, as some translations say. The other, the next one, three talents, and the last one, one talent, then comes back sometime later and says, what did you do with your talents? And the guy with five says, I made an extra five. That, and, and he says, you know, good and faithful servant. And the guy with three says, I made an extra three. And the master says, good and faithful servant. But the guy with one actually went and dug it and dug a hole in the ground and put it in a hole in the ground. And he says, basically, I was afraid. 
because you, you know, was afraid of you, that, that you reap where you have not sown and you take what's not yours. He has this distorted view of the master, which is Jesus. Um, and out of fear, he doesn't do anything. And I think the um, moral of that story is, is not so much about where you plan your financial investments. You could take it that way. It's more about, um, you know, it's okay to fail. You know, it's it's okay to get things wrong. It, it's it's not okay to put what we have in a hole in the ground and, and simply be afraid and not do anything. Um, now, you know, how does that translate into um, modern day living? I think I think we require great wisdom and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I guess the other thing that always jumps out at me when you read um, the Gospels in particular is Jesus has a lot to say about the dangers of the love yeah. of money mm-hmm. and and um you know the 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 risks of, of infatuation with the kind of material things of this world and i have to I have to be honest when i when i follow a lot of the mm-hmm. the kind of conversation in the media around cryptocurrencies and bitcoin i see increasingly not many that many people taking a kind of thoughtful nuance this is an interesting technological breakthrough and let's explore if we can build an industry but there is a lot of kind of giddy greedy excitement about mm. great if you buy a bit a 0.1 of a bitcoin now and you keep holding and holding and holding next year you could drive a ferrari because you'll be a millionaire yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. is do you is there a way do you think that we could uh get into this sector without getting sucked into that kind of um avaricious um mindset which is clearly kind of antithetical to 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 the way of christ yeah so no you're absolutely right and so we you know um, Jesus speaks of the parable of the um, the rich fool who simply wants to build bigger and bigger barns to store all his wealth mm. and I think James specifically calls out avoid get rich squeak get rich quick schemes uh, and potentially um, lots of technological areas uh, including crypto <clears throat> do have the aura of a get rich quick scheme and that will always attract a certain mindset um, a, a certain type of greed, a certain type of fear of missing out or FOMO. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, um, Jesus also tells us to be as shrewd as snakes and, and innocent as doves, um, use our gains to help others. Uh, so, so how do you mix all that up together? And, and is there a way to be involved in this without um, being sucked into the greed, I guess is, is, is what you're asking. <clears throat> and again, I don't have an, you know, an easy answer except to say um so you know i'm i'm very neutral on bitcoin personally i'm very interested in it i still haven't invested in bitcoin i have um, the means to invest i have an account but i've never actually done anything with it i'm interested as as a technologist um i think i think we have to um anybody you know looking at anything like this has to take the view that whatever your view on Bitcoin is, it is very high risk. Um, and you could lose a lot of money uh, as well as make some money. Um, is that wise? You know, I mean, somebody said to me, um, you know, if, I, if I've got money um, that I don't need, why wouldn't I invest in Bitcoin? But my reply was, well, if you've got money that you don't need, why don't you give it away? Because as Christians, aren't we called to do that? Matters of Life and Death, a 
podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Yeah, it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because I think there is a pushback in the secular world against this sort of greed is good. And um, yeah, I think we're yeah. probably going to try and do a podcast in the future about this um, interesting movement called uh, efficient or e- effective al- altruism, whereby it encourages people to accumulate wealth um, in in not to get not for its own good but so that they can uh, invest um, in in worthwhile projects and, and be altruistic um, so I I think there is something in the human heart which which does want to be generous which does want to uh, to be good to others and I, I think you know it, it is a wonderful principle isn't it that that the more we give, the more generous we we are. We serve a generous God, and the more we live out like Him, and we're generous with what God has given us, the more blessings we receive. And, um, you know, not necessarily financial blessings, but other blessings. Um, yeah. It is genuinely better to give than yeah. to receive. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think um, to your point um, that altruism is increasingly seen as as a as a way of living as a way we should aspire to whatever our faith um you know we we have the the well publicized um you know gates foundation and warren buffett and i think even zuckerberg who've all um either actually given or have um uh, committed to give the vast amount the vast majority of their wealth to charities Uh, and arguably you know the gates foundation have done an awful lot in in tackling um, malaria um, in developing countries, so 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 that is a good thing, and I think we should take heart in that. That um, whether you're a Christian or not, um, it's increasingly seen as you know our response. Uh, we have a responsibility that's wider than just me and my family, or as Tim said, getting the Ferrari. <laughs> but what I find really fascinating <laughs> about this in particular is that the world of effective altruism has has collided with the world of cryptocurrency and so we mentioned in last week's episode about the the exchange ftx which kind of imploded spectacularly late last year and and the the founder and of that sam bankman fried um, who's now you know under arrest and, and indictment for for fraud he was one of the biggest boosters and, in, and investors in the effective altruism world you know including funding yeah. lots of projects here in the uk actually because there's a big kind of center of effective altruism in at the university of oxford and it kind of effective altruism started out as a as i think is a really well-intentioned um humble approach to say how do we get the most bang for our buck you know if i'm giving one pound to this charity versus one pound to that charity which is going to save the more lives but what is fascinating is that as it got kind of bigger and entangled with that kind of techno optimist silicon valley world they started to be to 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 drift as far as i understand from my, my reading towards an idea of the most ethical thing you can do is to get as rich as possible as quickly as possible because then you have more money to give away and so actually it becomes ethical to 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 pursue extreme wealth uh, whether that's through you know cryptocurrency or or, you know getting involved in in other kind of traditional financial um industries where you can make a lot of money in a very short space of time and and it just seems fascinating to me how even that really good 
um, desire yeah. to be altruistic yeah. and to be effective in altruism yeah. has got got gradually and imperceptibly corrupted and perverted and twisted by that equal kind of common human predilection, which is our, our sinful greed. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, um, you know, the case that you cite, <clears throat> the guy Sam Bankman Freed, uh, Bankman being an ironic um, name, really, because <laughs> he's not a banking man, um, you know, they're now up for fraud, for, you know, against fraud, for fraud charges, uh, misappropriation of billions of dollars. Uh, and it's, it can never be right to pursue wealth at all costs and then say, well, I was going to give some of it away. It does bring up another point as well, though, which is the lack of regulation uh, mm. in the whole crypto area. And um, that, that is another conversation that um, regulation in tech, and, and you probably know, I'm sure you'll know that um, the European Union has been chasing Google and Facebook for years and saying, we're going to regulate you, we're going to regulate you if you don't sort your own house out. And similarly, you know, regulation in, in the world of crypto, would that help? Um, some regulation would help because certainly we don't want the likes of the Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX happening every year. Um, some regulation would help, but you have to be careful with regulation. Um, first of all, for two reasons, one of which is obvious, and the second reason I don't think is obvious. Uh, but there's two, two reasons that regulation in the tech industry um, can be a bad thing. Uh, the first one is, is that basically it slows everybody down. Um, you know, it, it never seems to end and uh, increasingly bureaucracy is, it does, does weigh companies down, does reduce profitability, does uh, hold back on innovation. The second reason, though, that, that um, regulation in this area of crypto or any area of tech can prove to, to be counterproductive is that if you think about it, um, the companies... Uh, let, you know the big the big crypto exchanges and the big tech companies Google Facebook Apple uh, Microsoft they have more lawyers than you can shake a stick at they have more lawyers just just in those group of companies than probably the the FTSE 100 companies put together so if you create regulation what you actually do is you create a world where the huge companies the Googles and the Apples and the Facebooks and the big crypto exchanges well they're okay because they can throw lawyer, they can throw more lawyers at it than the EU can, and what you've actually done is you've made it really hard for the entrepreneur, the two guys working in a garage. You've raised the bar of entry so high now that they can't innovate. They effectively cannot innovate because they cannot cope with the regulation. So it's not true that regulation always helps and solves these sorts of problems. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The law of unintended consequences, um, I think, operates so often, doesn't it? And mm. it seems to me almost <clears throat> inevitable that some kind of regulation which des is designed to do A turns out actually almost having completely the opposite mm. effect because of unintended consequences. Um, I suppose, again, just thinking through biblical principles, it does seem to me, certainly in the Old Testament, and to some extent to the new as well, that the I, the protection of what in Israeli society were the widows, the orphans and the aliens, you know, the, the people who were most vulnerable, the people who were at the bottom of the heap, mm -hmm. the ones who always lost out because they had no power, they had no body on their side. It seems to me, I've heard it said by a theologian that, you know, in Old Testament thinking, the primary purpose purpose of an economy is not wealth generation 
it is the protection of widows, orphans and aliens. So now that may be an overstatement, but I do think it's a really important sort of counterbalance, isn't it, to a kind of capitalism that that sees economic growth and wealth creation as being the the, the essential the essentials of what financial services and financial activity is all about. What do you make of that? I, I, I think um, I agree. I think it can be, become very uncomfortable as well um, for all of us. Um, <clears throat> I remember once having to write an essay at Theological College on the question, is the Bible biased towards the poor, actually biased towards the poor? Uh, and, in, and in doing that, I remember, um, you know, you come across some theologies. So, for example, um, there's a theology called liberation theology, which comes from South America, uh, from the streets and the slums of South America. And in that theology, when Jesus uh, criticizes the rich or says it's, you know, it's impossible for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle or, or, or when the Old Testament criticizes the rich, we in the West, we tend to think, oh, that's people richer than us. That's that's Bill Gates. Right. That's got to be that's Zuckerberg. But actually, they think it's us. They think it's us in the West because we, we have got rich as a nation and as individuals by exploiting often their countries. Uh, and then when, when there's this, the, the, you know, the last being first, that's them. And the first being last, that's us. Um, and that kind of, we don't often hear that taught in churches. Um, you know, the, the <laughs> we might end up being somehow last. And yet that is a legitimate way of reading scripture. And this ties into your point you made earlier about the kind of the, one of the critical arguments people make in favour of cryptocurrencies is that it is a a vital kind of tool of financial emancipation for people in kind of resort low resource countries that have that are unbanked you know excluded from the traditional financial sector. Um, there's a you know it's mm -hmm. it's you know it's a nuanced contested argument, but I can certainly see the power of an argument which says, wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a kind of universal free at the point of use currency by which we could all convert, uh, send money, receive money, invest, grow, lend, and it, and it's it's a genuinely universal thing that could serve to 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 break down barriers. You know, in the same way, you know, you see in the Old Testament they they command the kind of the, the wealthy landowners don't glean to the edge of your fields, mm, but yeah, baked into yeah, the system yeah. is is provision for the widow who can go behind the workers, as we see in the Book of Ruth famously, mm. and pick up, you know, f free, effectively a kind of proto version of a kind of welfare state almost. Um, and I can see the argument is is quite compelling that kind of traditional finance has over many generations has excluded developing nations and, and poorer people. Um, and I guess the question is, is can Bitcoin and the like kind of generally provide a sustainable, meaningful alternative or, or will people end up getting kind of sucked into yeah. scams and Ponzi schemes or, or kind of d yeah. deluded yeah. by the kind of get rich yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. variety of the, of yeah. the culture? Yeah, uh, and actually, you know, and you mentioned Ponzi schemes a couple of times that um, just to be clear, there are many cryptocurrencies out there. Uh, we've only talked about Bitcoin, really. Some of them almost certainly are scams. You know, there are certainly hundreds of different cryptocurrencies. Uh, some of them definitely are Ponzi schemes. I don't think Bitcoin is. It has a network. It, it has the mass of people behind it. Um, it's crashed, but it's still going. Um, and, it, and there are uh, financial, financial institutions um, investing in staff, clever young people to do this. So, but, you know, I think your point is fair, actually. 
um, that you know throughout scripture that that is a mandate and I like your your analogy to uh, gleaming or gleaning on the edge of, of the field that as um, you know, we should all take that as a principle that um, you know we it, it, it also gave Ruth in that case a respectable um, uh, forms of employment didn't it uh, and again that Bitcoin proponents would say that that this is a form of generating employment uh, in countries and to people who who otherwise couldn't do that. So I think sort of drawing the threads together, I think it's a, it's been a really interesting conversation because I think this is the kind of conversation we need to have, don't we, amongst ourselves. Um, and so far, there seems to have been a real dearth of serious, informed Christian engagement with this new fintech mm. uh, area. And I, I mean, it's a fairly crass and obvious things to say, but I mean, it it is so clear, isn't it, that what we need are Christian believers who are experts in this fintech area and who are going to go in it to be salt and light um, for Christ, not and and to use their entrepreneurial and tech skills in order to try and create a system which does protect vulnerable people, which does allow the powerless. Uh, to have access to to funds and which protects them from abuse, um, I, I think there's a long way to go, but at least we're starting to to recognise the direction we need to go in. Yeah, and um, you know whether cryptocurrencies, to what extent they will empower um, people in developing countries and people, younger people who have been left out of Western economies, or to what extent they will um, tempt us into greed and, and get rich quick schemes that definitely remains to be seen and it is interesting again it reminds me that another spiritual principle one of the mysterious parables that i think one of the most mysterious and profound of jesus parables is the the parable of the wheat and the weeds mm. that, that the wheat and the weeds are growing together almost indistinguishable the good and the evil uh, and so and it mysteriously it seems to be that it's god's plan for this age that the wheat and the weeds should grow together uh intertwined it's only at the end of the age that there will be a clear separation mm. that this was good this was evil this this was wheat this was weeds but for now in this age the wheat and the weeds are growing together intertwined and i think we can see that in this kind of area can't we that there is clearly some real wheat here there is there is potential good um and but at the same time there is definite weeds and risks and things that are going horribly wrong uh, yeah no i think there's um a lot of good could come out of this area uh, a huge amount of good come out of this area uh, and at the same time it, it's definitely a a a pit for people to fall into um in terms of get rich quick schemes I think in terms of wheat and weeds, yeah, no, I take, I take that comparison um, <clears throat> and even push it one stage further that it's um, because of the inevitable hype that we have in the tech industry, um, things are overhyped. And you may have seen the hype curve um, that's been used in the past that new technologies are overhyped uh, and then the hype reaches a point and it falls off the edge of that point into what's called the trough, a tr trough of disillusionment which may be where we are now now with cryptocurrencies. But out of that, 
arises something more realistic. So, so almost, um, you know, it's it's not just wheat and weeds. It's weeds that look like great wheat. <laughs> I mean, that's the point, isn't it? We often, yeah, without is. discernment, we can't. Yeah. T- it looks we great. It all looks great. We can't tell the difference. And discernment, I think, is the critical word there, Chris, because that seems to be how actually we end a lot of these podcasts when we're considering <laughs> kind of breakthroughs in technology, whether that's, you know, yeah. around AI and chatbot software or whether it's about kind of interesting new things with kind of um, uh, fertility treatments and, and healthcare. Uh, yeah. it, it's not as simple as this is great, Christians, jump on board, or this is horrible and sinful, run away. It's of this is complex this is changing and what the kind of Christian response is, is to ask the question, how do I grow in wisdom so mm. that I can discern what is wheat, what is weeds, what is profitable, what is not, what is wise, what is foolish. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's a, a kind of yeah. probably a lifelong kind of journey. We also yeah. kind of call to go on as believers is, yeah. is growing in wisdom, not just dividing up yeah. everything new into yeah. that's good, bad a pile. And that's a bad pile, but actually wisdom to know how to kind of live in the messy gray as our world kind of accelerates away with this technological revolution we're all living through. Yeah, uh, uh, and in terms of wisdom and learning from the past, I think um, one one lesson it's always worth reminding ourselves of when it comes to technology is that with all new technologies that, that, that succeed, they are always um, overhyped. We always overestimate their impact in the short term and inevitably underestimate their impact in the long term. So think about a smartphone or something, because that, that was the industry I worked in. And, you know, in the 1990s, it was a phone. Uh, you know, you, you use it to speak. Uh, you now use it to, to, to run your life. Um, so, again, that, I'm sure that will be the case with this technology. We, it will be overhyped in the short term and we'll overstate its benefits um, or any other technology, AI, you know. Um, but in the longer term, these have the potential to profoundly change uh, the way we uh, the way we view our world and the way our world works and as Christians you know we we need that wisdom that wisdom and also the wisdom we've talked about in the last 20 minutes of uh, the biblical wisdom of how do we use this for good yeah well that seems like a brilliant place to draw this uh, series of episodes to a close um, thanks again Chris for, for kind of going on this journey with us sharing your insight and your knowledge it's been it's been brilliant to have you um helping us kind of pick our way through the through the weeds um, and think a bit more deeply about this. Uh, and thanks everyone um, for listening. Um, as always, there's plenty more resources uh, on Dad's website. That's johnwyatt.com. You can get in touch with us by emailing um, molad at premier.org.uk. But otherwise, uh, we'll be back next week, uh, next Wednesday with another episode. Uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Hello, Tim here. Just before we go, I wanted to let you know we're planning a special episode in the next month or so to mark the one-year anniversary of relaunching Matters of Life and Death as part of the premier Unbelievable Network. We're going to be dedicating an episode, or maybe even two, to answering questions from you, our listeners. They can be on any topic, perhaps something you've heard us talk about over the last year that you'd like to go deeper into, or maybe instead there's a new development in the news or science that you'd be interested to hear us chat about. We can't promise to answer every question we get, but we're definitely going to try to squeeze in as many as possible into this special omnibus episode. Nothing's out of bounds, so do get in touch now by emailing molad, M-O-L-A-D, at premier.org.uk. Thanks very much.
Theatres of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.